Hello Power Pack fans, it is the beginning of July, and as promised, we have donated all of the donations we received from our Patreon account for the June donations to the Bail Project, while also matching the amount in honor of our commitment. So today I submitted a payment of $200. Additionally, we continue to support the Hero Initiative with our ongoing 10% monthly donation. Thank you all very much for your continued support. It really is appreciated, especially in this time. They are hunting the world's most deadliest game, each other. Wolverine in the Punisher War Journal. A test of will in two parts by Karl Potts and Jim Lee, starting in February from Marvel. TM 1989 Marvel Entertainment Group, all rights reserved. Welcome, dear listener, to our podcast, Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer. Analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures and absorbing alcohol. I am Jeff. I am Rick. And I am Nicholas. How often have I said to you that when you have eliminated the random banter, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth? Random banter, buddies. Tell me stories about your lives and what's going on. Frankly, Sherlock, I don't give a damn. That sounds right. Yes, it is. That is a uh, Sherlock's home quote. And why would I do a Sherlock's home quote for this? There's a spooky mystery, but not really. <laughs> not really a spooky mystery, but need solving. I was just going to sing, Private eyes are watching you, touching your every move. Private eyes. They're watching you, watching That's right. You. Yes, because we have a... <laughs> private investigator in this. So I had to yes, take the do. quote from the next world's greatest private investigator, Sherlock Holmes. Hmm. On that list, where would you put Batman? Batman. World's greatest detective. I'd put mm -hmm. him in DC so he doesn't count for us right now. So mm, Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. I, I like the way you think. Sherlock so. Holmes isn't a Marvel character. That kind of doesn't like... <laughs> Of course he is. Is he? I think. I mean, I look, no DC. Idea. I know pub published at least a one shot of Sherlock Holmes. Marvel? Okay. Nope. Well, so, I retract my random banter. Sorry. <laughs> and and I well, insert my uh, random pedantic uh, nonsense. <laughs> uh, sorry. That's okay. Uh, excuse me. Uh, actually, you know. There you go. You got to put. You got to push the glasses up on. I'm the sure that the, the listeners can really hear me push the glasses up. But speaking of our pedantic comic book guy. Who is this? This is Nicholas Prom from the Comic Reflection Podcast. Yes. Yay! Welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. Oh, and also Captain Freak Counts. Well, yeah, my music show, but but I was going to say um, <laughs> of Rick Meets the Legion, a little show you heard of and been on, yeah, yeah. you know, that we do yeah, together. That, that, that. That's a little show that we do together that's on your network of comic reflections. I was going to give you all the props to the world about it. Okay. I just wrapped up the Marvel saga that I've been doing for the past couple few years with Jerry McMullen of the Worst Comic Podcast Ever. And now we started a new show. It's called We're Having a Crisis, Tales of the DC Multiverse. And we're just doing all those Earth 1 and Earth 2, Earth 3, etc. stories from before Crisis. And we're having a ball. Episode yeah, 3 will be out by the time this drops, so... Nicholas is my uh, my contact for all of the, the really nice and old Marvel and DC comic stuff. He, he's the one that... He's, he's got his finger on the pulse of that... <laughs> of that corpse. Vampire. 
Yes. No, uh, Nicholas and I, uh, we met at the Nerd Out uh, a while back. R.I.P.D. You know, we found out uh, one of the victims of the coronavirus was our favorite uh, comic book themed bar in Portland, the Nerd Out. It hurts so but much, we, man. It does, it does. But we met there. We met, actually, we met, you and I met the same night we met Shag. Yeah, and I was like, who is this? I'm like, I knew Shag from, you know, podcasting, and mm. you showed up, and I'm like, who is this guy? I'm like, huh? And But by the end of the night, we were like pals, regular pals. <laughs> so. Classic Rick, right yeah. there. Yep. That since, is classic. Since then, we we have gone to a few different uh, cons together. We went to a Washington State con. We've been to uh, Rose City Comic Con a couple times together. Yeah, and we've had a lot of late night conversations talking about comic books. Yes, I'm glad to have you on. I know that when after we first met, we we started talking about Power Pack. You said you wanted to talk about this issue, so I said yes. We are definitely going to have you on. Here's the thing, and I said that before. I had read it, <laughs> and now I kind of regret asking. Um, um, I wanted to because, like, oh, Dakota North isn't an issue of Power Pack. I knew that, so I was like, yeah, let me come on for that because I'm I am a champion of of that character in her series, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get into that at some mm-hmm. later. But yeah, no matter what the issue is, I think this is going to be fun. I think we're going to have a good time with this. Unfortunately, we can't do the face to face meeting because we still are. In the midst of the COVID nineteen pandemic, it is June third. Just to just to timestamp our episode on June third, two thousand twenty. Just for those in the future who might say, "Why are they talking about this thing? Why aren't they together? They live in the same town. What's going on?" I think we have beaten this pandemic pedantic pony to the ground. Yes, nailed it. I think we should move on and talk about this. Lovely, lovely issue of Power Pack. But before we do that, we need to have the Two Cents replay from last episode. Jeff, hit me with it. Strapped for cash and needing to buy a birthday present for their mom, Power Pack accepts a babysitting gig from X Factor to watch over Nathan Christopher Charles Dayspring Escasan Summers. Or baby cable if you're nasty for a couple of hours while cyclops and marble girl got an afternoon out to enjoy some not parenting time well in spite of the fact that they had access to the equivalent of a giant smart ship power pack took the young lad out to central park to play where they were promptly attacked by snarks that were promptly smacked down by the pack of powers and promptly wrapped up and left for friday to deal with while they took the kid back home to collect a couple of jacksons for their troubles now that the we also covered three various page-plus ads in addition to the seven-page story, two-sentence replay is over. Why don't you give me a beer and tell us what our power pack pick is? My pleasure, my friend. And I, once again, I love the fact that I purposely do not read that section of the script so I can just be amazed when you start whipping it out. <laughs> I try and make it fun. I, I, I think you do. You do a very fine job of it. Now, because the three of us do live in the same town and I was able to deliver a package to each one of you, we have two people who are going to be surprised with our beer pick this week. So, gentlemen, unwrap your beers. Ooh, I like the way that looks. What? Oh. Private Eyes IPA. <laughs> oh, thematic. Nice. That looks cool. Private Eyes, they're watching, watching you. you. This is an amazing can. It is a uh, black label can, and it has the uh, silhouette of a 
fedored and trenched coat individual and the only thing that are visible are the glowing eyes not in a like demonic presence but just in that watching you because i'm private eyes kind of thing this is your classic 1940s private investigator you know where a dame comes in with legs up to here and trouble past that kind of thing so this is great and i love story time on it unfiltered beer contents may settle so you know that's story time yeah this is Private Eyes IPA by Claim 52 Brewery in Eugene, Oregon. The ABV is 6.8% ABV. So, yeah, I think it's pretty obvious why I chose this one. Let's taste it. Is it because uh, the Punisher is in it and he's wearing a trench coat in this issue? That's one reason. Coat that tears like paper, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it also has Nicholas Prom's favorite female private investigator. I think that's right. Uh, you got specific enough to be correct. Uh, <laughs> Man, just opening this can and you can smell the IPA-ness of this. This, this is, is a good beer. This is hops. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that is that is. Oh, there's Mr. Fancy Pants putting it in a glass. Oh, yeah. That's so we can see it. Yeah, I'm fancy like that. Yeah. We're fancy. We're fancy. fancy. It already comes in a drinking for. receptacle, you guys. <laughs> no, this is very, very fruity. It's got the... It's. I'm not getting the tar smell. I'm getting a nice floral smell. Okay. There is some floral. There's uh, definitely hops, but not the, like, iron nails kind of hops that I'm used to. Yeah. It's a nice golden color. Very hazy. Very hazy. The, the taste on that is, it's very pleasant. It is more pleasant than I was expecting it to be. I was thinking mm-hmm. it was going to be, like, offensive IPA, but this is actually, like, hi, kind of like a walk in the garden, smell the roses kind of an IPA. Yeah. It actually does kind of have, you were saying floral, it does almost have like a kind of rose notes to it, which is really weird. And then the aftertaste on it is very IPA. What are you getting from it, Nicholas? I'm getting a tasty beer taste. (laughs) And I like it. (laughs) That's a good descriptor. Here's the thing. I'm so like, I do not have like refined beer tastes. I'm like, it's a beer. I'm going to drink it. (laughs) <laughs> I have no, like, I'm not a beer snob. Like, I have things I like more than others, but, like, you hand me a beer, we are solid, Jackson. After doing enough of these shows, Jeff and I have started to really develop our own palettes about how to describe the beer for our listeners. Not being IPF friends. It does really kind of have, like, juniper notes, too. So it does kind of have that gin kind of flavoring going on with it. Yeah, okay, I can get there with that. Mm-hmm. I can get there with that. It's It does have a little bit of the sharp cut near the back. But not bad. No, I, I'm I'm enjoying this one. This is a nice beer for a nice sunny, warm day out here. Yeah, it fits the weather really perfectly, which is really great. So nice connection. It fits the issue and it fits the weather of the day. If the beer fits, drink it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we will. Yeah, that's what's great about beer. Most all of them are uh, one size fits all. So yay. With beers in hand, let us move forward through the opening credits, if you please, Jeff. Power Pack, issue number 46, May 1989. The Great Goo Gam Ripoff. Credits. Terry Austin, who wrote it. Wills Portacio, who penciled it. Mark Badger, who inked it. Joe Rosen, who lettered it. Glennis Oliver, who colored it. Carl Potts, who edited it. Tom DeFalco, who done it. During Power Pack, Alex Power, aka Destroyer. Sick Boy in Bed. Julie Power, aka Molecula. Mistress of Density, does not appear. Jack Power, a.k.a. Counterweight, runny-nosed, annoying brother who wants to be an astronaut. Katie Power, a.k.a. Starstreak, angry child who does not get over the first scene in this book. Guest starring The Punisher, who has a skull in his chest 
guns in his battle wagon, and an attitude in his soul. And Dakota North, who is a fast-talking, no-nonsense private eye that is right out of a film noir or old detective novel. Um, guys, I don't, I don't normally use scripts, so, am I, so I'm kind of confused here. Why does this line have my name with goo in parentheses? Oh, don't worry about it, Nick. Just read the line and trust us. Sure. I hope you two gams have learned your lesson. You must always consider the feelings of the other person first. Share and share alike. And always say please and thank you. <laughs> Told you he'd do it. Mm, last time I do you a favor. Okay, all kidding aside, let me drop some story problem math on you. If three-fourths of Power Pack are sitting around watching the Goo Gams on TV, and only one-third of them seem happy about it, who is the happy child? The answer is Katie, who is one happy and healthy child. And while Katie is happy, Jack and Alex are arguing over a Kleenex box because Alex is sick with a cold that Jack has passed on to him. We find out that Katie never got sick and that Julie is out of town with their mom. For some reason... The sick kids have yet to figure out how to ignite their healing abilities outside of the group hug that they use for a special heal. With this exposition out of the way, a news report breaks into the cartoon. I repeat, a news report breaks into a cartoon. What villainy, what travesty. Why would they do such a thing? Just to report that the police are questioning the author and create, creator of the Goo Gam Gang, Jesse Wilcox Jones, for her involvement in the theft of $100,000. What? As I was saying, the reporter for the Expositional and Plot Setup Network, or EPSN, in order to avoid copyright infringement, lays out the backstory. The big cash prize that was tied into the promotion of her new book from issue number 21 ended with the hidden treasure chest being filled with books instead of money. The Punisher ponied up the dough that should have been in the chest, but all of the blame has been placed on the author since she, and she alone, knew exactly where the treasure chest location was. This has caused some serious negative publicity and the halting of distribution of her newest book. The reporter has even managed to interview the two stooges from the first caper, Lawrence and Moses, aka Larry and Mo, aka Dumb and Dumber, aka you get the idea. Oh, that's right. We had two of the legendary Three Stooges running Operation Make the Author Give Us the Goods. Well, with that exposition out of the way, and with Alex quitting the living room and quitting the story to go to bed, that leaves just Katie and Jack to whisper argue about the situation. Katie is ready and willing to go out and save her most favoritist author lady. Now! But Jack is being his old curmudgeon self. Humph! What do I look like? The Red Cross? <laughs> That's why they have lawyers, mooch mouth. I guess we'll just have to rely on the plans and initiative of the five-year-old. And after her last plan ended with her and Franklin hanging out with Madcap, <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? Well, to start with, she goes into her room and finds the business card of Frank Castle, a.k.a. the Punisher, that he gave her in Strange Tales number 14. Interesting start of a plan. Well, while she is doing that, Jack pulled out the yellow pages and looked up the address for a private eye. Why? Why would he do that? Because Jack is mysterious in the ways in which he says he will not help. Plus, I blame whatever cold medicine he's been swilling. Whatever cold concoction that was, it seems to be working for the little boy, because he has ended up sitting at the desk of one Dakota North P.I., she is dressed in a stylish leather suit, has shoulder-length red hair, a sparky attitude, and her own chip on her shoulder. 
Jack has come in with a story of his author friend being falsely accused, a runny nose, the crumbs from his piggy bank, and a promise of a big payout from his future earnings as an astronaut. What Jack does not have in class and style, he makes up for in pure tenacity. Of course, I could more than likely crack this case on my own. But... If this case isn't solved by supper time, my sister will probably pitch a fit. Dakota is suitably impressed with this kid's case, and more importantly, his moxie. So she takes pity on the kid, offering him her embroidered handkerchief to wipe his nose, and a free day's labor to run down a few leads. This show of kindness has hit Jack in the feels, and as they climb onto the PI's motorcycle, with Jack wearing Dakota's helmet, we see a trail of hearts falling out of Jack's dopey, lovesick eyes. Aww. Meanwhile in the battle wagon, home of the Punisher's battle van. Katie has related a similar story to Mr. Frank Castle, Esquire, except she is emphasizing how horrible Jack is for not helping her. Wait, hold on. Back up. Katie just got into a stranger's van? A stranger's murder van? A stranger's murder van that is filled with murder puppies? Which is what I call guns. I'm, no, she met the Punisher uh, one time and he tried to kill her, her family, and their friends with a gun. So, as comic book meat cutes go, they are old friends. Uh, plus, I think he wrote free ice cream on the side of the van, so it's legit. Not comforted. Where Jack went with the sick, worried puppy dog approach... Katie is more the angry little dog with rabies. She is mad as heck. She's not going to take it anymore. Especially when Frank tells her that he will look into it without her. Katie responds by flying rainbows around the van, convincing the Punisher that she can take care of herself. He does request that she stay out of his way, though. No problem, sir. Her words say yes, but her smile says, In your dreams, buster. Now that the board is set with players, we will check in with the Dakota Porth team. Oh, sweet Wookiee Life Day. Not more of your dumb portmanteaus for couples' names. Come on, this makes sense, especially with Jack just constantly staring at the young P.I. with those moon eyes. I tell you, this issue has more hearts in it than your average issue of My Little Ponies, and they are all coming from Jack's little eyes. Jack may not be doing anything but staring at the redhead, but Dakota is getting some work done. They are visiting Larry and Moe in prison, and with the gentlest of threats... Larry starts to innocently let loose some information as Moe retaliates with some classic stooge routines. With a small bit of information that somehow Moe's stupid brother is involved, Dakota leads her young boyfriend into the publisher's record room. I am pretty sure that Dakota broke in, because she is happily surfing the company's computer, hunting down some info on one Jerome Horowitz. Uh, a.k.a. Curly. Yes, Curly. She discovers that he worked there and quit shortly after the treasure hunt began and left no forwarding address. So, for info on Curly, this is a dead end. She does find a reference to a relative's business, though. A bar called the Lazy Susan, owned by Samuel Horwitz, another brother. Um, <clears throat> a.k.a. Uh, Champ. We switch scenes to a bar with this name that has a very familiar van sitting out front. Inside, the Punisher is giving the third degree to a bowl haircutted big nose bartender. I am not sure how close he was to sealing the deal, but he is interrupted by Katie, who has walked in to complain. Hey, what's the big idea? The ten minutes is up on the parking meter. You want I should get arrested? And as we all try to unpack the scene of a five-year-old in a dive bar trading insults with the Punisher, the brow-beaten bartender introduces the back of his threadner's head to a bottle of his favorite brown liquor. Crush! 
Now we have a bar fight! Hooray! Katie has beat feet for the door, so it is just the skull chest versus the random dregs of this no-star establishment. Wow, this reminds me of going out drinking with Rick. That's happened to you too? Huh, I thought that was just me. Quiet, you... both of you. Long story short, Punisher wins. Sure, his nice trench coat is torn up, but the patrons of the bar seem to be missing teeth and gaining black eyes. By the end of the fight, the bartender has upgraded his weapon to a sawed-off shotgun. Chaka! Frank is caught off guard, but just for a moment, because a rainbow then appears and does what a rainbow does, which is to take the shotgun away from Shemp. The Punisher takes advantage of this new situation to grab the beer pusher's collar and get back to their game of talk or teeth. Blam! And another surprise. So many surprises. This one surprises the bartender, Punisher, and the tough guy who is now holding his arm, and not the chair he was going to hit the Punisher with because he has been shot by Dakota North. Standing in the doorway is the P.I. herself, gun-smoking, with the two power kids on each side of her, Katie with Shemp's shotgun under her arm. Let's be clear. Dakota has entered with a monologue that mocks the Punisher, and it is pretty cutting, so Frank gives it back. Hello, Jack. Who's the broad with the mouth? Frank pulls the bartender out of the bar, with Dakota laying down suppressing fire and a smoldering repartee. She does not hit anybody, but is taking out weapons held by the customers. Outside, the good guys start to mount up for an escape as the number of customers in the bar starts to multiply. Frank, while shoving Shep into his van, has a thought. I can't wait to write this one up. Dear War Journal, today I played patty cake with two little kids and a trigger-happy dame. Oh, brother. Jack and Dakota take off one way on the motorcycle and quickly become trapped in a crate-filled alley with mooks. Dakota, the daredevil, has no problem with it as she hits a plank like a ramp and launches them up and almost over the cluttering crates. It does not look like they are going to make it. Luckily, Jack is on the bike because he drops a couple of G's and gives the bike enough of a lift to make it over the barricade. But what about the Punisher? What about him? He has an armored battle van. He doesn't need to do anything fancy. He just crashes through the barricades. Kaboom! Later, the new power pack consisting of the Punisher, Katie, Dakota, and Jack are interrogating Shemp. We find out that originally it was all four of the three stooges that were going to try and shake down the writer for the money from the contest. But Jerome tapped out, and then Moe and Larry decided that they would do it by themselves, cutting out Shemp. The interesting thing is that Jerome seems to have gotten a new job and is rolling in the money, but he is not giving any to his brothers. Shemp, not being too dumb, hands over Jerome's address. That leads our cast of characters to a nice mansion. They are pretty sure that Jerome is the one that has taken the cash, but they need a confession. The Punisher wants to use his fists to make this happen. Dakota, on the other hand, wants to use her womanly wiles. Using a slinky leopard skin dress as her disguise, the daring detective descends on the domicile determined to distract the do-batter with deceitful dialogue. I would not say dialogue. Curly, <coughs> I mean Jerome, answers the door and does not really seem fascinated by her looks. But once she drops Larry Moe's name, she is dragged into the mansion. And now, we have yet another flashback segment. Jerome seems to know the score, or he thinks he does. While Dakota is trying to flatter him to get the info, he thinks she is here on behalf of Larry and Moe to blackmail him. In spite of that, he still just tells her everything anyway. And by everything, we mean how he stole the dope. He took a job at the book company and easily picked the lock to the chest, stealing the money in the morning of the promotion. Meaning, 
The chest was always filled with books when it was buried. And because Curly is such a financial genius, he quickly turned his ill-gotten gains into a massive fortune. Then he kicks the disguised P.I. out of the house when she tries to suggest she could be his girlfriend. So, even though she now knows how it all happened, Dakota is fuming because she knows Jerome will not willingly admit to it in public. Luckily, the Punisher is there to handle this. In the most cartoonish way possible. Yeah. Starting where he walks up to the house carrying a mass of weapons, including a flail, followed by kicking in the door, shooting his gun, then continues on to sticking a barrel in Jerome's nose and saying that his brothers hired him to kill him unless he confessed and went to jail. It's just over the top. And our stooge stand-in, who everyone expects to be dumb, points out that this ain't going to work, that he will not give up the money, and any confession will be seen as under duress. The fun kicker is that he says he has willed everything to a home for overweight Dachshunds, so killing him won't get his brothers any money anyways. So now the professionals are resorting to staking out the house, sniping at each other, and trying to come up with another idea. The kids, meanwhile, are sitting on the curb, coming up with their own ideas, since the adults are clearly out of their league. And props to Katie for coming up with the idea to haunt the bad guy. Once again, Katie with the win. The younger half of the pack flies off and visits the author, who is their old friend, and they borrow a couple of bags of toys and the Gugam suits previously seen in issue number 21. Back at the mansion, Jerome is going for a swim to soothe his ragged nerves after the trials and tribulations of this trying day. As he takes a dive off the board, he is mentally patting himself on the back for his brother and friend getting arrested for attempting to steal a box full of cheap paperback books instead of the money that he had already stolen. But as he surfaces, he finds that he is now swimming with a plethora of Gugam dolls. With a scream out of a horror film, the overweight thief lightly hops out of the pool and heads in for a drink to calm his nerves. Unfortunately, the lights do not turn on. Jerome still does not realize he is at the beginning of a horror movie, and he continues to write off these strange occurrences. Then he opens up the cupboard and has another mass of Gugams fall on him. He turns to open the fridge and finds it gone, replaced by two Gugam dolls. At least they're not facing the corner. Yeah, that would be worse. But the fridge is currently in the hand of a kid-sized Gam standing behind him who says, Hey, Curly, how about a light snack? But don't I take it back. That's worse. The Gam continues to approach the freaked out fiend, telling him that they are angry that he got their lady friend in trouble. That's enough for Curly. He beats feet out of there, but gets stopped by the pink goo, who appears in front of him, everywhere he tries to flee to. Eventually, the pink goo picks him up and flies him to the top of the house. From there, the gam starts to kick apart the chimney. Needless to say, that is enough for this creep. Bam! Landing on top of the battle wagon, Jerome screams out to Dakota and Frank that he will confess. Later, we find an angry Katie demanding satisfaction. She showed up to this party with a Punisher and a bubblegum, and she is all out of bubblegum. Uh, Rick, that's not how that phrase works. Let him go. I think he's on a roll. She came here for satisfaction, and she wants satisfaction. Did Warner Brothers give up after one police academy? No, they went for greatness. Katie wants Curly to be punished. <sighs> and she gets her wish as the Punisher puts Curly over his knee and lets Katie spank him. Can we just move on, please? Gladly and with expediency, if you would do the honors, sir. Dakota voices that she thinks that the kids had something to do with Jerome's sudden change of heart, 
but Jack refuses to give up the secret about how they got Jerome to confess. Sorry, we trained investigators don't like to give out our trade secrets. She appreciates his moxie and leaves with a rotund reprobate and a promise that if Jack becomes an astronaut, she will want to get a ride. Well, that is just a dirty line. In her defense, literally everything that comes out of her mouth is a dirty line. The Punisher helps the kids return all of the borrowed toys to the vindicated writer. And as a reward for their friendship and help, Jessica Wilcox-Jones gives Katie a copy of her new book, The Goo Gams Meet Katie, A New Friend. Oh, wow! While Jack receives a kiss on the cheek from the appreciative author. Smack! Back at the power pad, Katie informs Jack that their dad is a bit cross because he kept her out past dinner. And she also drops this classic line. Hey, lover lips, when are you and Jesse going to get M-A-R-R-I-E-D? Shut that door, you little brat. Girls are the bunk. And we end the book with Alex waking from his sleep of sickness to remind us he is relevant. And to ask a question as Jack moons over his monogrammed handkerchief. What do you got there, Jack? Nothing, you disease-ridden jerk face. Go back to sleep. Next issue, Elsewhere. And now it is time for the themes of the book with some power pack packaging and my two good friends. Yay! Yay! You guys are my best friends, thick and thin, talking about book covers. You guys are here with me and we're talking about some power pack themes. Nicholas, take it away. Oh, me? What, what am I supposed to do right here? <laughs> Nothing. We have I'm no just, idea. We're just freewheeling. <laughs> okay. We're freewheeling. Freewheeling so Bob we Dylan. Have, we have this nice, 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 nice front cover. And this is drawn by Will Spartacio and Russ Heath. Who would like to explain it for our gentle listeners what this looks like? Well, we've got Jack riding on uh, Dakota North's motorcycle, hanging onto her, the Punisher behind them, and uh, Katie flying ab- above them all in the, in the background. Very nice. I didn't realize that Russ Heath inked this cover. I love Russ Heath. I wish he'd have drawn this issue. Wow. R.I.P. Russ Heath. I think there is a definite difference between... uh, It's drawn by Wells Portacio on the outside, but we got Russ Heath doing the inks, and something about his work on the inks makes this much better than a lot oh, of stuff we see on the inside. pretty nice. The interiors, yeah. meh. And it's, and and it's really... And we'll get to that, yeah. Here, here's where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap, lay something on you here about, about that. Wills Portacio, this is early in his career. I'm not, I'm already not a fan, but this is before he's even developed his really his signature style, mm-hmm. which really was present in like the blue and gold era of the X-Men. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He drew like everyone with like their mouth open like all the time for the, for in almost every panel. It's kind of awful. I would gladly take that over the art in this, which is kind of like eh, meh. But the cover is a prime example of oh, a great a great inker can really save something. Russ Russ Heath, a legend in comics, would have loved to have seen him or Al Williamson, who was doing a lot of inking for Marvel at this time, uh, doing the interiors, and maybe it would have looked a bit better. This is really good, especially the faces on here. Uh, like you said, Jacks. Jack's hanging on and kind of floating up behind uh, Dakota North, and she's holding on to his hands with just two fingers, which is kind of classy. But <laughs> he, he's he got this look, a little bit, little bit of fear on his face, and she's got this determined look, and Frank's on a, another motorcycle right behind, and he's got a determined look on his face. And really, Jack's the one who looks scared. Everybody else has got the determined look on their faces, but... Yeah, Katie's looking really grim, dark. <laughs> yeah. 
This is a, this is a really good good cover, and I think it for the most part. I mean, you aren't getting too much, but you're getting the important things. Here's who's in this book. Yeah, and mostly the order of importance too, because I gotta say that probably Punisher is probably the least important person in this book. <laughs> right, but but just putting him in the book is a yeah. someone's gonna buy this because the Punisher's yeah. in. He was a super hot character at the time. The thing we opened the show with was a a, a you know Wolverine appearing in Punisher War Journal, like. This is a really hot stuff that we're you know we're trying yeah. to push you know late 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 eighties Wolverine Punisher you put them in there that's that's where that's where you got the money coming in uh-huh. that's where you got the money uh-huh. coming in um, those were like guest stars that just guaranteed someone's going to buy a book that brings us a bit to the inside of the book now mm-hmm. and the first thing I got here is that we've got the return of the Gugam storyline. Uh, this is part two. Right. The part one was also written by Terry Austin. The story in and of itself is um, we we were not too big of fans on the first one. And here's the thing: from my memories and just memories from childhood, we like these stories. Oh, immensely so because they're they're outside of the norm of what you would normally have in a comic book or with superheroes. And it kind of, it just it stood out. And it was kind of a a fun sort of lighthearted. Uh, childhood adventure romp kind of tying in like oh that kind of reminds me of like a, a TV show I would watch on a Saturday yeah. morning kind of thing you know, especially especially in the 80s where you had a lot of the private investigator mysteries you had Columbo and Murder She Wrote and things like that but I mean you, you have that in your mind and you see these kids getting to play private investigators in the first and second ones and it's kind of fun and there's you know it's like oh wait I know who the three stooges are I can see that I get that sure. as a kid so as a kid it was something that like oh these are great and then reading it as an adult you're going I have it's, questions yeah I have questions <laughs> so I, I have a question though like do you remember when Marvel would oh, do that okay. that ins- assistant editor month thing where mm-hmm, they would just have a goofball mm-hmm. one off story yeah 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 was the first part in Power Pack 21 was that a, a an assistant editor's month issue no no they they never had any of those Power Pack didn't do any of those. Yeah. Um, I think those were kind of a thing they did in the very early 80s, if I remember yeah, right. Yeah. But I remember I remember reading different ones of those where it's like just a little kind of funky and strange. No, this one wasn't that. It was just, here's somebody who's got a story they want to tell. Yeah. We need a extra book to fill in between a couple story arcs for Power Pack. Sure, go ahead, do it. And this is, there's so many little clues here about, you know, things that Terry Austin likes. I mean... Probably our favorite Terry Austin story that we read was Power Packs showing up in Strange Tales. And even then, they were just kind of like, kind of put in. But he's a big, he writes Cloak and Dagger pretty well. I think that's kind of more of where he's at. He likes to kind of build these long term stories. Terry Austin was writing that? Yeah. Oh, wow. Terry Austin wrote those Strange Tales. I remember, I remember, like, I'm not crazy about Cloak and Dagger, but I remember those stories being pretty interesting, actually. Yeah. They're they're not bad. They're not bad. But I mean, one one thing that I wanted to point out is that we see, you know, as we're starting to talk about the the Gugam story and and the Gugam's cartoon at the beginning, we see Jack on the couch wearing Cloak's cloak, which I thought I was did like, notice that. It really looked like, it yeah. really looks like his cloak. You're right. Uh, yeah, uh, you're right. I didn't pick up on that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a little tip of the hat to you know Cloak and Dagger and Terry Austin's kind of run on that. What do you guys think about the overall story? I know I know that we have some problems with some of the finer details of it but we were talking about the pi detective story as a plot what do you guys think about that how did that work overall in high level concept i mean i dug it i mean for me it was just nice to to see dakota north again i love her series and i think terry austin really got her characterization correct 
So I, I should shouldn't bag on him too much. That was fun. You know, oh, you know what I would love. This all the, like my favorite stuff in this issue was like the interaction with her and the Punisher, and like I would absolutely read a Punisher Dakota North limited series. Yeah, I could I could see that working out if they had the Punisher being a little less cartoonish. Yeah, yeah I think yeah, that was yeah. one of the downfalls get, get, get of, of him in, in here. Proper tone, yeah. and you know, and Dakota being her serious, you know, in, but fun self, and I think you got a winner there. Yeah. What about you, Jeff? What do you think about that? I love the concept of uh, kind of the bring in a detective, bring in kind of a vigilante, and go for the story on that. So I really I like it in concept quite a little bit. Unlike Nicholas, I actually really dislike Dakota North's banter with the Punisher because it just seemed like she it was just it kind of reminded me of like the Madcap situation where it was just somebody just saying crazy stuff for the sake of sounding kind of crazy. Where it's like this is the Punisher. Some of this is just kind of like, lady, where are you coming from with this? <laughs> this is, it's just like, hi, we've just met. So Looney Tunes, Looney Tunes, Looney Tunes. And it's kind of like, ah, so. I, I can see where you're coming from, Jeff, because she is right out of a 40s detective noir story. And she's yeah. got that fast banter, that rapid fast banter, which in an 80s, late 80s kind of setting doesn't quite fit and it is a little off-putting it's it doesn't quite fit exactly what we're used to so i can definitely see where you're coming from with that she's not the only you know character or character that's in this we also have the rest of the three stooges we have all four of the three stooges in this book yeah yeah so we got that going for us i know that we said first time why would you have a story where you only have two of the three stooges I mean, it's why to not build have, to this? It's to build to this. I You're still saving say, something for the sequel. I still say, why you could have still had the three Stooges in there and have like the one brother, like I'm, I'm tapping out earlier or something like yeah. that, because you only have two of the three Stooges in the first one. Here, at least we've got them all, and they make sense out of it. But I mean, mm-hmm. realistically, we could actually say you could have had six of the three Stooges because there really were six of the three Stooges. I know all of them. I don't know Joe Besser. Yeah, after Shemp died of a heart attack. At 60s, Brother Mo suggested that he and teammate Larry Fine continue working as the two Stooges, but they said, nope, we're going to go ahead and get a... They, they brought somebody else in. He refrained from imitating Curly or Shep, but he continued to play some whiny character he had developed uh, over the long career. So, yeah, that would be the fake Shep that kind of is in there. So, My uh, three Stooges lexicon of knowledge is rather limited. Mine, too. Well, I mean, like, yeah. I can convert... I, I'm conversant about the Stooges, but I've not watched much of their stuff. To be perfectly If I have, it's been, it's like a lot of things that I talk about where I'm like, yes, I have seen a lot of the Stooges, but it has been so long ago, it doesn't count anymore. Right. The Three Stooges, I think the Three Stooges are kind of one of those things that has not stood the test of time as nearly as much as uh, some of the other things. I mean, I think. Not very deep or smart. It's not Abbott and Costello and it's not the Marx Brothers. And it's not Laurel and Hardy either. Those ones seem to have a little more staying power than... Mm-hmm. But back in the day, in the 80s, the Three Stooges were huge. Yeah, but like Abbott and Costello and like the Marx Brothers, like it, there's all this wit going on. The Three yes. Stooges is like, we're dumb and we're hitting each other. You know, like... The thing that I always really respect about the Stooges is that they said, what set could we have? You have a dentist set available to be filmed on today and today only okay and they go to that set and they just they'd riff and they do some stuff and they're like well that's it for this set but now we have a bar that we can do for we can use that for half a day so let's go film a bar scene they would just 
you know, swoop in onto any open stage they could get and then just film some stuff. And it's just like, well, what, what's the overall story arc? Don't worry about it. We're going to hit each three, other with hammers. It's three, guys, it's three guys beating each other up. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I can appreciate the just being able to riff and just go and improv because that's a skill. But what I like about the Marx Brothers and Abbott and Costello, it's like they can, they do the slapstick, which is all the Stooges do. Yeah. But there's also wordplay and wit. And yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. And dialogue that you can quote Where uh, with the Stooges. Let me uh, quote a Stooges episode. No, oh, wise guy. <laughs> hey, Mo. Hey, Mo. You, do you remember that? Ep- do you remember that episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah all of yeah. them. Is all that the them. one where they were painters or something? Yeah, it was all of them. It was literally all of them. Yeah, but Groucho or Lou Costello, I'm like, these guys, like, they've got wit like Oscar Wilde, you know? Oh, like, yeah. wow! You know, like, people still people still quote Groucho Marx and, and some yeah. of the stuff he said and some yeah. of the stuff he got away with. Oh, amazing lines. And then uh, things with, like, uh, I believe it was Harpo. He'd play the harp, and he was self-taught. So he never played the harp correctly. But he had he developed his own way of playing the harp. And uh, I think later in life he said, I actively want to learn how to play the harp correctly. And he went, and everybody that'd go to uh, have him uh, instruct him on how to do it would see how he would play, and they'd say, no, we're not going to teach you the right way because this way is fantastic. <laughs> so he had geniused his way into a playing style that, while not technically correct, was an amazing way to play. So There you go. Other things in this book that we can talk about, and we should talk about, I think we mentioned it at the beginning a little bit. Nicholas pointed out that he has his own stories of his cartoons being interrupted by a news break. But what kind of an animal would do that? I mean, come on. Nowadays, we don't see it because we don't really have the Saturday morning cartoons anymore. Yeah. But back in the day, that was sacred time. Like when, when that happened, because I was like, I was deeply invested in a pup named Scooby-Doo, which is one of the worst iterations of Scooby-Doo, really. <laughs> But it it had its own charm. I don't know. Don't interrupt my cartoon time is is, no. is is where I'm going with that. I know that for my daughter now, it's like, you know, do you want to watch cartoons? And she can kind of watch cartoons or something whenever she wants to. But Saturday mornings, it's not getting up to watch cartoons or it's not, oh, I got to make it home for my show at this time. Yeah. We miss that a little bit now. Sure. We don't have that thing where it's like... Because we all have it on honestly. digital video disc. Yeah. And or we also like, if I want to look at the news... Streaming. There we go. Yeah, it's on your phone. Or, I want to watch some cartoons. Well, I guess I'll watch five seasons of She-Ra. We have all these fond memories of, of the cartoons that we watched back then and kind of the, the joy we have of it now. And you, you, don't, you don't interrupt our cartoons, folks. You don't interrupt. When you interrupt our cartoons, you know what we do? We get the Punisher and Dakota North and go after you. That's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> the Punisher. He kills people. He kills people. But he doesn't kill, but he doesn't kill people when they rip up his jacket. Which yeah, man, they cool. tore his jacket like paper fast. fast. For the most part, we have a series of like gags of things that of situations and gags that the author wanted to see these characters in. We want to see them in a bar fight. We want to see them in a chase. We want to see them uh, pulling hijinks on a bad guy. That's it's that's kind of what it is. There is a lot of content to this book, but it's all cartoonish. There's no real stakes. The portrayal of the Punisher in this was pretty ridiculous yeah and you know you, you're reading like punisher and punisher war journal and stuff at the time it's like it is deadly serious mm-hmm. you know like yikes uh <laughs> you know you, you've got like john buscema doing art who was one of the most wonderful yeah. artists who've ever picked up a pencil and yeah it was not a uh, not a light-hearted yeah, it- uh, romp 
<laughs> like this. And this one was. I mean, yeah, they're dealing with kids, but at the same time, I mean, yeah, Katie in the bar yelling at the Punisher for leaving her out in the van. Yeah, for more than <laughs> 10 minutes. Because the meter's gone off. What, you want me to get arrested or something? It's like, what? What? Katie? This is more of a Dakota North story with the power with Power Pack being there, with Jack and Katie being there, and then Punisher's along for the ride. It's kind of messy. Um, mm-hmm. I appreciate what they were trying to do. It didn't gel super well. It's, it, yeah. But, it, you know, it's okay, though, because at the end of the day, you know, we got to see how much of a smooth operator Jack is. Yeah. Yeah, what a smooth operator. <laughs> Continuing smooth operator the Jack is. It's not even intentional. It's just the ladies love him. The ladies love a bad boy. Such a smooth operator. He is getting the... the the handkerchief and the kisses, and he's got a snotty nose. Drop the mic, people. Yeah, he's the man. Well, yeah. <laughs> he's like, I can go out there with the tail end of a cold and still be fine. And and so far, so far, you know, he doesn't mind. He doesn't mind, you know, uh, magic hitting on him. He doesn't mind Dakota North hitting on him. The only woman he has a problem hitting on him is Gossamer. Yep, so he, just Gossamer. Jack, Jack has some good taste. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think. <laughs> I think he uh, enjoys the pursuit a little bit more. He wanted there to be some challenge. Gossamer is pretty forward, so it's just like, you know what? There, There's no challenge here. Where's the game? Where's the sport? Well, in this story, in this story, <laughs> the sport comes from Dakota North. Yes, we've, it does. We've danced around it a lot, but let's go ahead and bring out my library card for this issue. And I'm cheating ever so much on this one because I'm doing a library card, finding the literature in this book, and I've decided instead of reading a book... I was going to read a series of comic books. I was going to read the five-issue Dakota North series that was published in Marvel Comics between 1986 and 1987, written by Martha Thomasis. Let's talk a little bit about it, and then I'm going to bring Nicholas in on this, because I know Nicholas has a lot of things to say about this. But Martha had been a comic fan for a long time, and and through some of the work that she was doing at the time, she met Larry Hama. Yes, Larry Hama from G.I. Joe fame. And MASH! And MASH, he was in MASH too. And also a co-creator of Bucky O'Hare. <laughs> who I, no, I love that comic. But it was Larry who had convinced her to write the Dakota North, and he became her editor. So so Larry Hama was editor on Dakota North. Martha was very political, and actually is really into nonviolence, which once again, her being friends with Larry Hama is very interesting. She found that working in the comic medium with such an action character, she was having to write more and more violent scenes, which really was against what she wanted to do. She was also not as fast as other comic writers. So part of what occurred, it hasn't ever really been stated as to reason why that I could find. A series of books that was supposed to go on for a while ended up stopping very abruptly at issue number five. And I'll get back to that in a little bit. After she got done with Dakota North, she was also really known for her work in publicity. And apparently she was one of the driving forces behind advertising at DC with the death of Superman. So part of the reason why the death of Superman got so much into the public conscious outside of comic books was with some of her work that she did in publishing. She's an accomplished writer and she's published in many different publications or periodicals. But back to the book though, the story of Dakota North in this five issues, it's about this hard-boiled P.I. in New York and her close associates. Her assistant, Mad Dog, her younger teenage brother, Ricky, her ex-bi father, S.G., and a local police detective that has the hots for her, who's named Amos. 
The main story arc that covers the series deals with a case she picks up to protect a fashion designer that then leads into a chemical espionage and a globe-hopping noir. The book just kind of flutters out after the five issues, right in the middle of the story arc. The last panel even states that it should wrap up, but it won't. Bye. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> One panel. Done. Um, it's a really strange book that doesn't that doesn't really figure out what it wants to be. There's this action PI coupled with a veiled romance. There are elements of slapstick comedy, but they attempt to make it in the real world. There's there's no superheroes that really come in. I think at one time they were watching a TV show of The Incredible Hulk, but that's about it. The side characters are painted as generic ideas of characters, and they're just not given enough time to really grow or fill out. Scale, time, location, it's just all over the place. It's an interesting read, but... <laughs> There's a lot of good ideas there that just, I, I kind of wanted to just grab on and, and actually become something a little bit more. Maybe giving a little bit more time, maybe giving a little bit more direction, it could have gotten there. I think it was an interesting idea. Um, I just really remembered all of the advertisements that were in the books at the time. They were very distinctive and very, very classy. But it, that advertisement didn't really translate for me into the book. I was reading the books like, that wasn't what I was expecting. So what are you're a big fan and I'm probably downering downing it a little bit here, but what are your thoughts on it, Nicholas? Well, I've, got, I've got some things. I think it's a wonderful series that just never it you know it, it it wasn't a limited series. It just was canceled because nobody bought it. It just didn't find its audience. Martha Thomas's I think it's like the only thing she wrote in comics. Tony Salmons, the artist, I love his art. It looks like Alex Toth with a touch of Milton Kniff. Like wow. Um, it's great. I recommend getting getting the actual single issues, not the trade paperback. I'm so glad there's a trade paperback, but the art is reproduced really poorly in it, um, and it just doesn't just does not look good. That's interesting because I I read it on Marvel Unlimited, and I was kind of like I was very iffy on the art, so I'm wondering if that's a lot of it, just how it was reprinted. His pencil line is kind of thin, and so I think it's just reproduced really poorly. Plus, the digital recoloring just didn't do it any favors. But I think Dakota is really interesting. Her cast of characters are neat. It's a soap opera. It's it. Yeah. Tonally, it's somewhere between like Remington Steel and Scarecrow and Mrs. King. Yeah. Okay. It's about the Ryan Tide period too. Yeah, exactly. It totally smacks of those shows and those kinds of shows. I have a fondness for that kind of stuff. I I mean, as a kid, I watched Scarecrow and Mrs. King. I love that she's this sassy, you know, woman. Or like, yes, yeah, her dad's this rich former spy, and she's got this spy agency. I don't know. It, there's all all the stuff in it works for me really well. I picked up the whole series for two dollars and fifty cents in pristine condition. Like, like nobody read it, and even fewer people bought it. Yeah. Or yeah. you know, not too many people bought it, and fewer people read it. I should say. Yeah. And it's a shame because it really is an, a hidden little gem. Uh, Dakota it, it, Dakota has a handful of other uh, appearances in like Spider-Man yes. and things like that. Uh, she uh, she had a bit of a long appearance and I think it was Luke Cage is what I saw. Later she did a lot on, of she's kind of been revived. I think Bendis kind of br- remembered her and brought her back. And good for him because it's a character like that shouldn't sit dormant. There's there's some fun things you can do with her. Yeah. If a new Dakota North series came out, I would buy that in a heartbeat. Dakota North is going to 
hit people a different way. It really depends upon if you have the chemistry with her or not. But I'll tell you who does have chemistry, and that is Jeff, our Mr. Science Guy. Take it away, Jeff. In this issue, an illness ravaged the power children, meaning that only Katie and a recovering Jack were able to take part in the adventure. Well, this, and nothing else, got me thinking about herd immunity. Herd immunity, also called herd effect, community immunity, population immunity, or social immunity, is a form of indirect protection from an infectious disease that occurs when a large percentage of a population has become immune to an infection, thereby providing a measure of protection for individuals who are not immune. In a population in which a large portion of the individuals possess immunity, chains of infection are more likely to be disrupted, which either stops or slows the spread of disease. The greater the proportion of immune individuals in a community, the smaller the probability that non-immune individuals will come into contact with an infectious individual, helping to shield non-immune individuals from infection. Individuals can become immune by recovering from an earlier infection or through vaccination. Some individuals cannot become immune because of medical conditions, and for this group, herd immunity is a crucial method of protection. Once a certain threshold has been reached, herd immunity gradually eliminates a disease from the population. This elimination, if achieved worldwide, may result in the permanent reduction of the number of infections to zero, which is called eradication. Herd immunity created via vaccination contributed to the eventual eradication of smallpox in 1977 and has contributed to the reduction of the frequencies of other diseases. Herd immunity does not apply to all diseases, just those that are contagious. Mass vaccination to induce herd immunity has since become common and proved successful in preventing the spread of many infectious diseases. Herd immunity is vulnerable to the free rider program. Individuals who lack immunity, particularly those who choose not to vaccinate, free ride off the herd immunity created by those who are immune. As the number of free riders in a population increases, outbreaks of preventable diseases become more common and more severe due to the loss of herd immunity. Certain individuals are more likely to choose not to receive vaccines if vaccination rates are high enough so as to convince a person that he or she may not need to be vaccinated, since a sufficient percentage of others are already immune. So, there is some information on herd immunity, and that is this week's Science Corner. Thank you, sir, for a timely topic. I think we're ready to move on and really talk about some refrigerator gallery moments. So let's find out what pieces of artwork we loved in this book, starting off with what we thought our funny, funny, funny ones were. Nicholas, our friend, do you have a funny backup that you had that you want to talk about? I mean, I liked every panel where Jack is with Dakota and like there are hearts floating off because he's just <laughs> crushing yeah. on this grown woman. I think that's cute. That's funny. I, that was my... Uh, Anytime that showed up, I was into that. <laughs> Every time that Jack is looking at Dakota after she gives him the handkerchief, we have hearts fluttering over Jack's head, and it is pretty dang funny. It's pretty dang silly. Jeff, do you have a funny backup one for us? I do. My joke backup is on page three. I call it, Who You Gonna Call? And this is in the middle left panel of the page. It is Katie in her room, and she has just recovered the Punisher's phone number from her jacket pocket. And I just love the fact that the Punisher gave her a business card that says, The Punisher, with a phone number, <laughs> and a five-year-old in the room filled with toys laying all over the floor. is like, yes, this is who I need to call to, re to uh, deal with this situation. 
in case of murder, break glass. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you got. Mm-hmm. That's my joke backup one. What about you, Rick? What do you got? Back in the scene where Curly is starting to get poltergeist, and he goes out for a nice swim in the pool. He jumps in the pool, and he comes out, and he's surrounded by, I think we called it a plethora of these goos, these pink little toys bobbing up and down the pool. And his response is, ah! And I called this the silence of the gams. Oh, that's a great name. <laughs> that is wonderful. This is actually my top choice. Uh, that is that is my first place bestest one. And I called it goos in the water, gams in the water. <laughs> Nice to see we, that we're sticking we, with the movie. We went with movie references. Bravo movie references. on us. Yep, Bravo yep, yep. on us. Man, you guys are really uh, funny. Did you have any? <laughs> did you have any other funny ones uh, besides the uh, the hearts floating over Jack's head, Nicholas? Oh, I mean, I've got some like favorite panels and other things, but these okay, aren't my so, funny ones. Jeff, uh, do you have another funny top funny one? My top joke one is on page sixteen, and I call it "Behold My Stuff." And this is the top left panel. It's after Dakota got uh, rejected from Curly's residence in her slinky dress, and she's all upset. And so it has a Punisher carrying all of his weapons, including arrows and a ball and chain and a law rocket and guns. And uh, it's just ridiculous because he looks so happy. He's just like, look at all my stuff. Look at all my weapons. I could kill a person with a rocket or I could bash their head in with a flail. Ooh, I could shoot him with an arrow. He's just so happy looking. I, I'm right there with you. Later on that page, I chose this one, and this oh, is the one where where <laughs> yeah. where Punisher is walking away from Curly, looking at yep. rejected, and you see all of those weapons sticking out of his back. And I yep. called this one, "I am a character." Yeah. Oh yeah. It's just, that's not even a face, is what uh, Frank's got going on there. It has it has the portions of the face that go. Yes, there is face parts but it does not make a face this is this is one of these pictures on the boardwalk where they've taken your face and made it as cartoonish as possible oh, a character time, yeah. review yeah that's what we got going on here mm -hmm. all right let's talk a little bit about what our favorite panels are mm -hmm. uh do you have a backup favorite panel nicholas oh yeah i i picked two okay what's your backup one page 16 but panel two it's a punisher's like here's your death horrits you know, he's just bursting in with all this goofball stuff. Yeah, it's in the top right-hand corner. This is the Punisher being the most actiony he is actually, oh my actually in in this one. He is kicking in the door. He is shooting his gun. Uh, we have bang, 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 brap, 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 bang, bang, bam, and it's and, and we see those weapons yet again. I think yeah, they're all strapped onto his back, including like a, a fork. Yeah, yeah. Which okay. <laughs> Jeff, what's your backup favorite one? My backup favorite is on page 12, and I call it, that's some A-team action right there. And this is the bottom right-hand panel, and it's when the battle van is smashing through the barricades of the uh, crates and everything that uh, got put in front of them so they couldn't escape. And that's a van smashing through crates, and that is some A-team action right there. I will see your, your A-team action with my own A-team action. And this is where we have the first kind of introduction of Katie explain the sitch to the Punisher and the Punisher saying I will take care of it you just sit your little pretty little personage back on 
back to your house and I'll get back in touch with you. And Katie says, uh, 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 mister, I'm going to fly around your van and I'm going to paint it full of rainbows. So we got <laughs> Katie flying round and round and round the van. So it's, I call this the rainbow wagon. No, that's a, that's a great one. I, that it was on my list. That's a pretty great look. And I'm like, somebody's going to pick this one. I had ones <laughs> where I'm looking at it and I'm like, somebody's going to pick this. I so. had, to, I had to go with it because it's, it's the rainbow wagon. It's the Punisher oh, rainbow yes. wagon. It's, it's, it's. If only the rainbow rainbows would stick, it would be even better. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. What is your top one, Nicholas? Uh, my favorite panel, I decided was, uh, it's, it's page five, panel three, and it's just Katie's got this expression. She looks really mad. She's, she's got her teeth clenched, and she's looking up, and she's saying, besides, costume's on. Yeah, she's about ready to give the Punisher a what for. And that what for is rainbows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rainbows and hearts. This is a My Little Pony book. <laughs> Pretty much. For my top favorite one, I think you, I think we're going to call this page 15. And this is when they're escaping from the bar with no name, or the bar with the Lazy Susan name. And Dakota and Jack are heading out. And there's this close-up shot of Dakota's face. And you see just one eye on Jack is coming out from underneath the helmet. And I call this the eyes have it. And it's, you see Dakota, she's looking very serious and very, and very focused. And you see Jack kind of, you know, just peeking up from behind her. She's saying, we're not gonna make it, sorry kid. This is one of my favorite pieces of artwork. I think this is this is one of these cases where I think Will Spartasio got it. Okay. Um, there's a bit of that 90s-esque kind of style I think you were talking about, Nicholas, oh, yeah. that, that this is kind of what he was leaning towards or finally going to get to. But yeah. I think this is probably one of the better ones there. What's neat about that uh, as well is uh, it's one of the only times that Dakota North is talking where she's not being a uh, 40 sassy kind of making fun of somebody. And yet her hair is still moving. So, Oh, yeah, it's on point. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's 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 just interesting because every other time she's talking, she's just uh, razzing somebody, making fun of somebody, smart talking, fast talking. You know, putting somebody down. And this one was just simply, I thought we could do it. It's not happening. I'm sorry. We're going to crash. This is where we die. Yeah. Hey, at least you didn't make fun of it. Yeah. There was a lot of people that did get made fun of in this book. A lot of insults in this book. Let's see if it's possible if we got any duplicates. I'm pretty sure we might have at least one duplicate here, but we will find out. Let's go ahead and flip the order a bit here. Jeff, give me your backup insult line with rubber and glue. My backup rubber and glue moment it's on page three and it's katie and this is after uh, she found out that uh her author friend is being you know accused of stealing the money and the two imprisoned uh stooges are saying ah, i always knew she was uh, dirty and stuff and katie's response to that is you old stupid heads if brains were dynamite you wouldn't have enough to blow your own noses and uh that's a great one that is a great Kid that would be insult. my backup one as well. It's, oh, it is nice, good. It is. It great. is. It's great. It, it's it's uh, very descriptive. It's very precise, and it um, it gets the point across quite well. So you got mine. What is your backup one, Nicholas? My backup one. It's page twenty three, panel eight, when Jack calls Alex a disease ridden jerk face. Yeah, yeah, that I, would be my that's, top that's one. That's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> the last line of the book, 
Jack or Alex wants to know what's going on with his brother. And like you said, nothing. You disease ridden jerk face. Go back to sleep. Yep. And that's how you end a comic. That's a good one. Yep. It was on my list. It was a good one. I got nothing else to talk about, so go ahead and give us your li- your your best line, Jeff. My best line is on page 11, and it was from The Punisher. And I just loved It's not super insulting, but I just really loved the idea of The Punisher having just a thought about this and mentally saying it. And it's where he's, uh, Nicholas covered it earlier, where it was, I can't wait to write this one up. Dear War Journal, today I played patty cake with two little kids and a trigger-happy dame. Oh, brother. <laughs> I just love the fact he's like, this is patty cake. This is... uh." I'm actually surprised you didn't go with Hello Jack, who's the broad with the mouth. Yeah, that's a good one, too. There's a lot of that. But, uh, yeah, I just just really loved him just talking talking to himself. He's like, this is patty cake. And it's just, this is ridiculous. Well, go ahead, Nicholas. Tell us what your top one was. My number one one was on page three. Katie calls Jack baloney brain. And I love it. I'm like, that's great. (laughs) Because <laughs> I could just hear Carrie saying it like "baloney brain," you know, like you know, like, what are you doing, baloney brain? Yeah, when Jack's looking, when Jack's looking up the telephone number, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I I loved that. Let's talk about the stars in detention. Who do you guys think the worst kid in this book is? Alex. Who wants to go first? Alex? Yeah. You yeah. Think Alex. Alex. Yeah. You know, like. You think Alex is the worst? Yes. Why? He was a jerk. Okay, all right. The end. <laughs> you know, like... I, I have no problem at all with that. I have no problem. And you think that Alex is the worst, too? I thought it was Alex as well, just uh, due to the fact that, okay, he was sick. First of all, nobody should be sick. It doesn't matter if Julie's around or not. They were sick due to the fact of storytelling. So, again, mm-hmm. why did this occur? Story. Which I'm like, okay, I got a lot, I gave a lot of leeway to that. They don't need group heals to do that. They heal. It's just part of their power set. They've proven that when they were on Snark World, and Katie was survived, you know, survived the massive uh, Balrog fall, and then was able to heal herself alone. It's they can do yeah. that. So yeah. okay. Besides that point, besides Alec being six, yeah, he was just he was in the comic, but he was barely there, and he was more dismissive of anything. And here was the big teller for me of why I'm like, this is the worst kid. If you have a cold and your nose is running and you're in a household with people that are sick, you're trading the, you, you, you trade the tissue box back and forth. I need to blow my nose. Okay, it's my turn. Now you can have it back and have yours. Jack's like, hey, I got to blow my nose again. Can I have the Kleenex? And he's like, I will punch you in the face. <laughs> you you gave me this cold, you, you little brother weasel. of mine. You little weasel. Li- no. no, no, no. Libble. Libble, libble weasel. yeah, libble weasel because he was sick. So uh, libble weasel, they be sick. He he just you know even with the uh, you know it's just like so he won't give Jack a, a Kleenex. And then when Jack and Katie are obviously or well Katie is distraught about their author friend is in dire need of help, and he's like, uh, looks like that sucks for them. Good night. So <laughs> you're kind of like, what are you gonna do? Why are you upset? It's like, well, because they know better than that. So yeah. I do not begrudge you guys at all. I, I thought about it, and I thought for the first time ever, I was going to give Alex a pass. Really? I decided to focus my entire view of this just on Katie and Jack. So I challenged okay. myself to think, who was the best and worst just between those two? Because I'm like, Even though Alex was totally the speedy slash yeah. beast boy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I agree. I agree with you guys. So like I said, I don't mind that at all. But I went ahead and I went... I went to choose who the best and worst was just between 
Allie, or just between Jack and Katie, I decided to actually go with Jack being my worse. Really? And that was because he spent most of his time just being lovesick. Okay. <laughs> he was very shy about using his powers. He only like really used it, you know, the once in front of Dakota North. Didn't Dakota see Katie use her powers? I mean, really, why was he being all shy and secretive with it? it I felt like he didn't do much. He told his sister no, he wasn't going to help, and went to, you know, help her behind her back. Katie was the one who came up with the other really good ideas. I just felt, at the end, Katie was more of the driving force, and Alex, or Jack, was just kind of like, she's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I could see that. I could totally understand why you'd pick Katie for your, for that, yeah. And for Jack as your bad. Katie, who I thought was my best, what did you guys think of uh, as your best? Nicholas? Oh, Katie. Katie was your best? She's always the best. <laughs> I love that kid. Yeah, Katie's great. Everybody loves Katie. She's wonderful. What in your choice? My uh, star kid was Jack. Actually, uh, he he did use his powers more than once. He used them. He saved them from the bike crash. He uh, used it to pick up you know the fridge when they were scaring Curly, and then he used his powers to smash chimney on the roof that Curly was using. So he did use his powers, and then he you know he like carried bags of stuff, and he he, he used his powers. Again, it was it, Terry Austin likes to do this. Oh, we're gonna get the same storyline, but I want them to be on opposite things until they meet up. So it was dumb where he's like, "I'm not helping, but I am." Huh? But I like the the fact that he said, you know, he was kind of like, "This is my putting words in his mouth," where he says, "I have no idea what to do about this. I want to be involved, but I bet a private investigator would be somebody that I could talk to." So I was I was totally down with that. You know, he saved Dakota, Dakota North's life. I just thought that Jack did very well, and the fact too that he. You were saying it was just like he was kind of a little hands off the reins, but and I'm like, yeah, that's true. But he and doing the love struck thing, but he was also like going, this person knows what they're doing. I'm going to trust them to do their job. So he wasn't sure. uh, micromanaging them. So I thought Jack was the best kid. I, I guess Katie was doing a little bit of micromanaging. You might call it. I, the problem, I could have picked Katie very easily because she originally wanted to help out uh, the the author, which is great. She had a genius idea of going to the Punisher. Yeah. Which is, wow, that's thinking outside the box. That's great. But, you know, she also did things that, like, got Punisher racked on the back of the head with a bottle. And yeah, so she was doing it stuff happens. that... happens. It does happen, <laughs> but it didn't need to happen. You know, where right. Punisher, you know, she basically kind of muzzled Punisher pretty hard, pretty fast. You know, where he's like, I now have a five-year-old that I need to take care of while I'm also doing this. And I'm also going to go to a bunch of dive bars and punch a bunch of people. But I've got a, I've got a kid that i got to watch out for. When you hire the Punisher, you go to dive bars. When you hire Dakota North, you go to prisons. I mean, yeah. this is this is the facts of life, folks. Yep. I have and one well i got a couple more questions for you but here's my next question for you gentlemen where does this book fit on our ever-growing list of the best and worst comics in power pack best and worst stories in power pack number one we still have revenge of the boogeyman which we ain't gonna bump that off this time down in the middle around number 25 let's say we've got power pack uh, number 14, which is school days. That's where the boogeyman kidnaps Katie and the kids sneak out of school to help her. And then, of course, down at the bottom list, we still have X-Factor Annual 2, which I think we're going to say that's fine. But down <laughs> around number 48, we have uh, Power Pack number 21. That'd be the first issue of this. So I guess the question is, do we think it's better than that one? How familiar with us are you, Nicholas? You know... I don't remember that other one so well. I do love Madcap, so that 
automatically just gives it an edge. Uh, uh, but but I love Dakota North, so I'm like, hmm. Jeff, from your recollections on this, do we like this better than the first episode of The Great Goo Gam? mysteries. Ken, I'm kind of suffering from that nostalgia vision for the Gugram treasure hunt one. And I'm which one do I like a little bit better? I like the aspect that Curly was actually really intelligent in this one. I kind of feel that this one is a little bit stronger yeah. than the other one. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I agree. I would actually cuz a couple of Spots up with them, so and we have disorderly conduct, which is the other Terry Austin one. I think all three of these are going to be right around each other. Probably. What do we think about that against that Strange Tales uh, selection? Uh, I think the Strange Tales one is a bit better. Okay, I'm willing to say that it's better than Man and Dragon Man. I still, I still think that this has got a little bit more cohesiveness. Okay. Amazingly enough, than uh, the. Power Pack number seven, where four new robots attack the kids and Dragon Man is taken. <laughs> I, I think that there's a little bit more to this story than, than there is to that one. Okay, you want to make it the new uh, 46 then? I think it is the new 46, which, you know, all the Terry Austin ones are right down there in one nice little grouping. Yeah, Interesting how that clutter. happens. Little cluster. Little clutter. But still, not too bad. I still have fond memories of this, but there we go. Power Pack number 40, 46 at position number... 46. 46. Hey, that works out conveniently well. Let me tell you, sometimes I amaze ourselves. Yeah. Well, that brings us, gentlemen, to our thoughts on this beer. What do you guys think? What is your final thought about this beer, Private Eyes? I liked it. Jeff, how are you enjoying this one? Uh, it's, it's okay. I think I liked it better at the start than I am at the end. Like, I think with it warming up a little bit, it's getting a little more eh on my tongue kind of flavor. Yeah. I still enjoyed this one pretty much all the way through until this last last little dregs. Okay, and I think it, it's probably because it has all the sediment in it and everything too. Yeah, the sediment kind of is a little yeah, a little more of that sour taste. But I'm not going to judge the entire thing. I really enjoyed drinking this. I think this is a higher end IPA. Or it's an IPA that's hitting my taste buds a little bit better. It yeah. doesn't have that hard hops hit to it. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to say give this one a four myself. I, I enjoyed impressive. this one all the way through. Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, I, it sounds like you're liking it a lot better than me. I enjoyed the start of it. I'm not overly enjoying the end of it. Uh, I love the can. The can is fantastic. The can is fantastic, yeah. That, look at, yeah I mean, again, go to our webpage. Look at that uh, can. That is super sweet. That is really, really cool. It, it's not hitting the notes for me. I'm giving it a three. It's fine. I would drink it again. I wouldn't seek it out. One to five, Nicholas. What are you going to give it? I don't rank things by number <laughs> either. Uh, I don't grade things like that. I'm like, it's I like it or I didn't or I thought. Okay, so high, medium, or low? Um, ab- above medium. It wasn't like my favorite beer I've ever tasted, but I liked it a lot. Okay, above medium it is. Folks, so, that's about a four. Yeah, that sounds like a four. <laughs> oh, like yeah. Okay, yeah. I guess that's how that would work. We got five things, so low, medium, high. I'm terrible at that. The one to five, give it a grade, give it, a, you know, give us how many stars. I'm like, what? Well, it's okay. <laughs> I understand it, and it is completely arbitrary. Our grades, our ranking, all this stuff that we do, this is for our own enjoyment. It is nothing is set in stone. This yep. is just our opinion on it. It's to give people just. Yeah, if you, you think we like, if you understand we like this being this, and you like that about the same way, you probably are going to like the same things we do. 
It's a talking point. It doesn't have much meaning past that. At no point, I think, are any of these things are, are being hills that we would die on. It's kind of like, yeah, we feel like this right now. And speaking of dying on a hill, I bet that Rick would be willing to die on the hill to talk to his daughter, Carrie, about the issue at hand. So, Rick and Carrie, please tell us your thoughts. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Daddy. How are you today? Good. We're being kind of lazy today. We're being very lazy today. No, kind of, because we actually went out at least once. You guys went out once. I, I stayed in, although I did mow the rest of the lawn and do a little bit of other work. But I don't know. I've just spent the last three hours just sitting around doing some Mowing editing. Mowing the lawn is technically being outside. Okay, fair, fair, fair. But you, you know who was busy, though? You know, I may think we not have been that busy, but you know who I think was really busy? Power Pack? Ah, specifically Jack and Katie. Yeah? What happened in this issue of Power Pack? Jessica Wilcox-Jones is going to get arrested. She's in trouble. She's in trouble. And Katie goes out and she and she sees if she can, you know, stop the person who um, who really stole the money. And who did she get to help her? She got the Punisher and... Well, Jack gets Dakota North, and um, Dakota North and Punisher, they try to stop the guy who actually stole the money, but they couldn't do it. So Katie and Jack try, and they actually do it. That's right. Well, you've seen the Punisher before. What would you think about the Punisher in this? I guess he was okay. Did you like him, not like him? What, what do you think about the Punisher in general? I don't know. He was okay in this story. What do you think about Dakota North? She's a new character you've never seen before, right? Right. What do you think about her? I like her. She's kind of, you know, daring. Uh-huh. What else? I like how she acts all cool and wears the cool clothes. <laughs> That's very interesting that you think that. Okay, cool. You like how she talks and she's kind of in control of herself? Yeah. Do you find her to be somebody you would like to be like? Okay, that's cool. That's cool. What do you think about the story in general? What did you think about the mystery or the uh, the kind of detective work that, that that was going on in it? Did you like that? Yeah. Why did you like it? I liked it because in the end, Katie and Jack, they spook the guy who actually stole the money. Okay. You like how they resolved it at the end? Yeah. What was your favorite part in the book? That was my favorite part. That was your favorite part? Okay, that sounds good. What did you think about the cover? I think it kind of shows how the book is well yeah i mean it shows that you know it's katie and jack and the punisher and dakota north right right what do you think about how it's drawn do you like how it's drawn yeah you know you want to be an artist so you need to start looking at how people do drawings and how people are kind of being a little critical about how the drawing looks and seeing if you can either copy it or do something a little better with it right right do you think you can draw as well as that not yet <laughs> but you want to try I could try. Right now, I guess I'm just drawing for fun. Well, that's okay. You can keep on drawing for fun. That's how you come better. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? Um, not really. All right. Then thank you very much for your time, Carrie. Um, welcome. I love you. Love you, too. Shout out time! We would like to recognize the listeners that take the time to write in or leave us a review. And this is specifically for... Episode 57, where we covered Power Pack number 44. Al Sedano, A Resurrections, and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. Brian G. Charles Gears. Charlie Rose. Ed 209. Gibson Gray. 
Green Lantern HG. And he says, Great episode, guys. I'm going to miss Inferno. Yes, you heard right. How else am I going to get my kicks of the kids beating on demons? Buffy? Al Jordan, the hammer strikes. Hoover Jeremiah and the Four Million Years Later podcast. Jeremy Daw. Jeremy Wiggins. Kyle Sinelli. Limax 7. The Long Box Crusade with Pat DJ Cristato Sampson. Mark Rogers. Michael Neertz. Lieutenant Colonel Robert Earhart. Congratulations, sir. Sailor Bear Zodar. Sean and the Secret Wars and Beyond podcast. Tim Price, the Podcrasher. Waffles! The worst comic podcast ever with Colin Stapleton and Jerry McMullen. Yay! And now, Nicholas, can you tell the wonderful people out there where we can find you? I am all that is the internet. I encompass all knowledge of human uh, understanding. Uh, He's the monolith in uh, 2001. Yeah, exactly. With the bones and the gorillas and everything. So here's the thing. You can find Comic Reflections wherever you get your podcasts. And on the same feed, you'll get the Marvel Saga, Rick Meets the Legion, which I do with Rick. Sometimes we need to get back on that. And my new show, We're Having a Crisis, Tales of the DC Multiverse. And on a separate feed, I have my music show, Captain Freakout's Psychedelic Radio, which is a weekly block of like 60s psychedelia and garage and a little bit of 70s prog. Some new music that kind of falls into that uh, area. Uh, and uh, so, yes, that's all of the things, I think. Thank you very much. We have some merchandise available on Redbubble. Go to redbubble.com and search for Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Jeff and Rick Presents is a bi-weekly self-produced podcast recorded in front of a brand new office space that I built and wherever these guys are sitting, in Portland, Oregon. If you would like to interact with us through the magic of the internet, you can do so through Twitter, at Jeff and Rick Present, our Facebook page, Jeff and Rick Present, our email address, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word, at gmail.com, or at our website, Jeff and Rick Present.wordpress.com. Also, our YouTube channel, Jeff and Rick Present. And if you would like to help support our show, we are on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word. We are proud supporters of the Hero Initiative, and we will be donating 10% of our Patreon donations to this great cause. We encourage everyone to give what they can to this worthwhile organization that helps the creators who provide us with such great content. Go to heroinitiative.org to find out more. Please rate and review us wherever you can, tell your friends about us, or share your love with us on social media. And if you could really do us a favor, we would love it if you haven't done it already and given us a review. We love reading them, and it does really help people find our show. Five stars helps. Five stars helps. Yeah. Any rating you want that's five stars or five stars. Five stars or above. (laughs) And as always, we want to thank the powerful people in our packs. My wife, Cindy, and our daughter, Carrie. My fiance, Hillary, and our daughter, Aurora. I have no one, and I'll be dying alone. <laughs> to my cold, dead fingers that you'll pry my possessions out of. We love, we love you. you. Until next time. Costumes off. Our theme music is 80s action. Also featured in this episode is Showdown. All music is by Kevin McLeod at Competech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. So, yeah. And correction. And the correction. Kaboom. They are hunting the world's most deadliest game. Each other. 
Okay, try and keep the uh, voice crack in there, though, when you do it for real. Because that worked out great. They're hunting the world's most dangerous. <laughs> I need to hydrate. Like, I'm waiting to drink this beer. Kaboom. So, you guys, when I was a kid, hey, <laughs> story time. When I was a kid, uh, when the uh, original, the, the Persian Gulf War happened, uh, I had the news report break in during uh, my viewing of a pup named Scooby-Doo. Oh. That explains a lot. Yeah. That makes for the, the worst Old Man Jenkins reveal ever. Yeah. Who's <laughs> breaking right? into our warehouse? Rip. It's the Gulf War. Yeah. It's a, it's Old Man Bush. Yeah. Curses. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. I would have gotten away with it, too, if it weren't for you dang Democrats. <laughs> Kaboom. As I was saying, the reporter for the Expositional and Plot Setup Network, or ESPN. Nope. Try again. You, uh, ESPN. It's actually EPSN. E- oh, specifically. my bad. Kaboom. The reporter has even managed to interview the two stooges from the... Mmm. Mm, tasty. Kaboom. Katie is more of the angry little dog with rabbi. Rabbies? Rabbies. Kaboom. Are you married to that name? <laughs> 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 That's part of our jokes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're not married to any of it, which is why stuff keeps getting changed. <laughs> Kaboom. Hello, Jack. Who's the broad with the mouth? <laughs> <laughs> you were that expecting- is that what Punisher sounds like. That's you, the official you were Punisher not expecting voice. Jimmy Durante, were you? <laughs> no, it was not. <laughs> But that's what it is now, from here on out. (laughs) (laughs) We almost got a spit take. (laughs) Almost. Almost. It didn't get to my mouth, but foam did go. Went up the side of the glass. I'm like, Kaboom. Using a slinky. Kaboom. Nicely done. Thank you. It's funny, tricky. You, you, well done. You tripped over the beginning part before you actually got to the alliteration, which was awesome. Yeah. I, look, I went to college. I can do. I can alliterate. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't spend eight years at doctor alliteration school to not be called Doctor Nicholas, right? Of alliteration. Mm-hmm. Kaboom. She appreciates his moxie and leaves with the road. Why can't I say rotund? Rotund. 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 Kaboom. And we end the book with Alex waking from his sleep of sickness to remind us he is irrelevant. He is relevant. Okay, <laughs> no, I'm going to really get this line. I'm going to get this line. <laughs> you got it. We, we believe in you, Nicholas. Thank you. Kaboom. Al Sedano, a resurrections. <laughs> I like this. Al Sedano and reservations. Wow. wow. Yeah, yeah that, that, that spell check didn't work for me, did Not it? Not too great. Kaboom. I can't wait to write this one up. Dear War Journal, today I played patty cake with two little kids and a trigger happy dame. Oh, brother. <laughs> Chef's kiss. <laughs> well done, Nicholas. Thanks. Uh, 